Runners Radio. Now, today, following on the marathon theme, one of Australia's great marathoners currently, a real cult hero amongst the running ranks in Australia. I tell you what, he's a world championship marathoner last year in their impressive heat of Doha. He's done so much more before that. I think he's a four-time Great Ocean Road winner. He'll talk about that later. He's a two-hour 14 man, but he does a lot more than that. He's got the Inside Running podcast together with a couple other fellas that is absolutely going gangbusters the last three or four years. He's also the owner of the running company Ballarat, which is one of the great specialist stores. Get all get around that online. I welcome Julian the Moose Spence. Welcome, great man. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. Fantastic to have you on, buddy. You've, um, you, you are a bit of a cult figure and well, you're very well loved. Like, way before the podcast, your podcast, of course, started gaining some really big following. I think it would be mm. definitely from a running sense, but even a sports sense, one of the more popular shows um, in Australia, for, but well around the world. It's very well received. I know that. Um, you really have way before that. So cross-country days, you, I know you organised events and helped AB and all different stuff. So, and of course, football, we'll talk about in a minute, but you've got, you are very well known around the country um, and you've got some very humorous um, antidotes, it's fair to say, and I love the way you, you just get on banter and get stuck into people and, uh, what is it, the moose? What's, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah, it? moose on a loose. I think that's where a lot of the, the cult stuff came from. Um, early days of the podcast, one of the segments was uh, Moose on the Loose. And at the time, we probably had six listeners in the country. So I never thought that anything would come back to bite me. Um, so I kind of got a little carried away. I reckon I've offended a lot of people over the years. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, I've kind of always been a bit like that, I guess, uh, not really giving a fuck what people think. Um, and people are pretty sensitive too. Like uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm I'm the opposite. I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty thick-skinned, and I love banter either way. And uh, and I've just tried to sort of recreate a Sunday running group feel, and that's kind of what the podcast is a little bit. We're definitely geekier than that, but um, if we can bring a bit of the uh, bit of the, the the dark side of Sunday long runs into the podcast, that's what I tried to do. I think you do a very good job of it, and bikes like me and many others that those Sunday long runs and all team sport from backgrounds is, is fantastic and people love it. And I think people really relate to the way you go about it, which is fantastic. Moose on the Loose is one of the great segments. If you haven't heard it, make sure you get that podcast on your iPhone. Uh, but, mate, you've definitely got a different background, especially from a national rep lot. Uh, our last uh, deep dive was with Troopy and he's a bit of a career runner. Um, you were a chippy, a footballer in the local Geelong Football League. So really different type of background. Um, just take us through the early days, football, work, and then what eventually said, okay, what flipped the switch and said, I think I'm going to give this a crack because I'm pretty, I reckon I've got a bit of talent here. Yeah, yeah. So I used to, um, I grew up surfing. That was the first sport that I did in Anglesey. Um, we would go to the beach. My old man was a surfer. He didn't play real team sports, so he would just take me surfing all the time. And I'd go and... Um, tag along and obviously grew into a surfer but what the surfing community didn't really have right then was that team atmosphere and I would sort of get on the school bus and we would go into Geelong and go to school but everyone on the bus was a played footy so you really felt like you were missing out to be honest you used to get bullied if you didn't play footy um so in just had to sign up really and then found out I loved it uh I was pretty good at it uh like I'm just good at naturally kind of at most things, but not great at anything. Um, used to do cross country at the time through school. And I would, I would always sort of progress through the rounds until you got to the guys, the kids that used to train. And 
And that's when I realized like, oh, there's a different level, but I would be the best of all my mates at running. And it was the same at the, um, the footy club. Like you do beep tests every year. We all do beep tests back then. It was just what you did. And, and I was always the best at it for some reason. Didn't really think too much about it. I started playing more footy, surfing kind of um, trailed off a little bit. And then uh, I sort of fell in this position in um, back in Anglesey when I was about 19. I came back to the local club and I started playing footy at the, in the, with the seniors and with all the local players. And, um, and they kind of saw me, I think, a little bit as a future leader of the club. So they gave me like an assistant captain role at the start of one year but then the cap the two co-captains they both got injured in the preseason and and didn't really play any games that year so I had to to captain the footy club when I was I think I was 19 when it happened and in the end I just like I, I it, it, a lot of pressure um for me the whole town used to come and watch like it is in small towns and you'd be working like I used to work in the supermarket, just like as a kid stacking shelves or whatever. And then everyone would come in and talk to you and just wonder what happened if you lost. And it all, it was, in the end, I just felt like there was too much fucking pressure. I, and there's pressure. Like if I have a bad game, I let down the team. If someone else has a bad game, they let down the team. You rely on other people. And I just, I really wanted to get away from that. I got to a point where I was just like so nervous before games because of the, what was riding on it, how many people cared about it that, uh, that I just stopped playing. Um, just decided one year, I'm like, I'm done with this. I just don't want to do it anymore. So I uh, started running a little more and that's when, that's when I, I ran Portland. Like I had a mate as of the three of us used to train for preseason. We would go jogging in between, um, training sessions and one mate just decided I'm going to go and run Melbourne marathon. <laughs> And we thought, oh, that's that's crazy talk. Like, you know how far that is? We never had G- GPS watches or anything. We would run for half an hour. I think we were going like 20K. We had no idea. Um, and we went up. We, Me and my other mate did the half and we watched him finish the marathon. And he was just like the most broken man. But what happened was we – it was the year. It was like 35 degrees Melbourne Marathon, 2000. 2008. Eight. 2008, if you look back. It Very was, bad normally that day. I was yeah. in the hot. That was a bad day. I was there. Yeah, there was people collapsing everywhere. Yeah. That, that, that race, um, that was about as hard as you could get for Melbourne Marathon. And 100%. we were, yeah, we were watching people coming in. I was sitting in the stands think, and the people finishing, it was like the three hour, three and a half hour mark. I'm just seeing these people rolling in and it was like, it was actually a really emotional thing watching people celebrate, like break down in the lap of the G because they know you knew how hard they worked. And I'd never seen that before. And it was like, it was, it was inspiring. Uh, And I saw sugar finish and he was like the most broken figure you'll ever see. Uh, And so I decided I've got to do one of these. So three weeks later, I think it was went down to Portland in, um, Western Victoria and ran Portland three bays and ran three hours, four minutes. I think I paced it okay that day because I was so scared of it. Um, and then from then on, I'm like, okay, I'm running now. Like I got to, I got to break three hours. It's yeah. um, yeah, that's, it's a great story. And, and so, so typical of a lot of um, young footballers or young team athletes that 
that do decide to challenge themselves for different reasons. And and yeah. the marathon is it, it does like you do you you did work back in reverse order, um, as do a lot a lot of team like myself that did play football first and then go from the marathon first and go back to the track. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you did. But you've come full circle and definitely is your pet now, clearly, uh, national rep. But tell us about those first couple of years trying to run them. You, you definitely worked your ass off those first couple of years on the road, um, but you were you were building and you also did a couple of very obscure events. So tell the listeners about the obscure events, the long ultras. Yeah. The building with your old man. And then I think you went over. I love the part you went to America. This is a magnificent story. Yeah, yeah. So I was um... – I was actually a labourer, not a chippy. So sorry, mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry to all the chippies uh, out there. Undersell your <laughs> profession. My my job was probably more like <laughs> post hole digger, <laughs> carry the bricks. My old man, he was a bricklayer turned builder, um, and we used to build houses down on the surf coast. So massive houses that would be on the side of like the cliffs. And uh, it was always such hard work. Like my job was just lugging f- fucking material around, basically. Um, I wasn't qualified in anything. And I, w- I was sort of, yeah. He ba- my old man basically said, no, you're not gonna, I'm not going to give you an apprenticeship because I don't want you doing this. Um, this isn't you. Like you're, I reckon we've kind of got bigger plans for you. And you, he wouldn't give me an apprenticeship. He just said no. Uh, but he said, you can work with me until you find something that you want to do. And that got me through years and years. <laughs> it took way longer than I thought it would. But, um, yeah, I would sort of, I would work full time with him. So we would go and, and um, it was my, it was a real family based thing. Like my uncles were worked there. It was a great atmosphere. It was some of the best, it was best fun I've ever had, but it wasn't conducive to running. So this was at the time when I started running more and I, um, I was finding it hard to get through a day and then I would go and train and um, I was just wearing myself into a hole. I got so many injuries early. I was, I was so impatient. You know, it's, it's a typical footy player attitude is the harder you work, the better you get. But running's a slight, it's similar, but there's a difference where there's a patience element involved and, and I did not respect that one bit. So I would go from one injury to the other injury to the other injury. So although I progressed, it wasn't like I was progressing like I should have. Um, uh, yeah, but th- then I, I got my time down. So after that three hours, four minute marathon, I ended up at next Melbourne marathon, ran two hours, 27. Uh, just totally like no GPS watch or anything. I, I went out and I'm so competitive. It's if I get in a pack, I'm like, I'm, I'm better than these guys. I need to be in the next pack. And then I'll get to that pack. I think, fuck it, I need to be in the next pack. And <laughs> again, the patience thing comes back to bite you when you're doing that sort of stuff. So I had a real tough second half, but it um, it sort of showed me, oh, you can run 227. That's a pretty good time. Like I think it was maybe 11th or 12th in the race. I can't, I can't really remember, but I didn't run faster than that probably for another five or six years just because of the, all the injuries that I got. But during that time, I decided... Uh, let's, I, I, I was studying and I thought, I want to get out of here. I want something new and fresh. So I decided to go on exchange to um, America on a study trip. And uh, I, tr- I, I chose a school that had a good running program. And I sent, all, I sent an email to the coach. He was actually the only coach that ever wrote back to me. And he said, oh, yeah, cool. 
come along. Um, uh, he didn't think I'd ever come because there was a per- period there where like we broke communication and all of a sudden one day I rocked up. I'm like, here I am. <laughs> he thought, oh shit, this guy made it. And uh, it was, it, I mean, it's American pie, right? You know, the college set up there, it is so much fun. It's, if you want to be an elite athlete and go to college, like you need to have blinkers on or something because it's not, it's not great for um, committing to endurance sport. That's not conducive to training doubles every day. Nah. I wouldn't wouldn't imagine. You'd probably get away with it if you're a bloody uh, running back in the football team. But when you've got to put in 80K to 140K a week at that college age, it's probably not ideal. Yeah, yeah. Something's got to give pretty quickly. And Mm. uh, I mean, looking back, I didn't, I wouldn't do anything different. I'd probably actually party more if, if I had my time again. There were some things like we sacrificed and, and being an Australian on campus in a college town. So it's not like you're in a city and there's no one really into, like, into sex with each other. This is like everyone in that town basically lives there to go to college. So it's, I feel like we need another show purely on the after-dark type activities oh, of the moose in, in so San, San Francisco. In San Francisco. Uh, a bit out of that. So it's in a place called Chico where um, if you Google it, it was ranked like Playboy Magazine number three party school in the... Oh, no. uh, so we'll put a little link down the bottom of this show that we'll definitely do an after-hours type pod, uh, MA to X-rated version of the moose <laughs> on the loose in, sorry, what was the college? Chico. Chico, that sounds unbelievable. Uh, continue yeah. on. Um, yeah, but didn't get enough time there, to be honest. I wish I could have stayed longer. I just did a bit of track running. I was actually there at the night. Um, Benny St. Lawrence ran the 10K Australian record. That was really cool. So got to watch that, um, cheer him on and speak to him afterwards. I was talking to him the other day and I said, oh, I bet you don't remember, but I was that, I was that bloke at the finish line who just ran over and was like chatting to you. Uh, that's, all, that's massive. That's awesome. Yeah, it was that's really cool. cool. Um, because he, he did so well. I think 27, 24 or something. 27, 24. We all love the same. It's just such a like, similar life, just a, such a tough story, just a tough G&D type athlete. Yeah. Determination personified and just love just love the hard stuff. Yeah, he's a legend too. He's such a nice dude. Um, I tell you what, he would have gone all right after dark in, in that fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should have I should have tagged on him <laughs> that night, Australian record yeah, holder. I tell you what, you would have been just racking him up. I did um, go out with Liam Adams after he won City to Surf one night, and I put his bib on my shirt, so there was no confusion as to who I was that night. <laughs> no one actually knows who, what the fuck Liam Adams looks like. <laughs> Everyone, knows, and this Liam Adams is pretty good marathon. I think I think he's a Sparky or something. But what yeah. the fuck does he look like? Oh, there he is over there, just uh, shouting vodka for everyone. Yeah, yeah, on the dance floor with his bib on. Yeah, yeah, magnificent. Uh, Moose, that's very good. Did, no, did, did Liam, any stories get back to the great man, Liam? Well, he I, he took it off me, I think. He was like, no, no, this is working too well. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try this. I need, I need some of my own action. Yeah, no, he he's also another good bloke. Um, but, no, yeah, so I come back from the States and I was just kicking, still just like getting injured all the time. And then something started clicking, like I changed the way that I trained and there was this period of probably eight weeks where I got really, really fit and it, it was before Melbourne Marathon, I can't remember what year, maybe 2014 and 
like I was doing these workouts where I thought, holy shit, this is incredible. And I was following the, um, the training of, of Scott Nicholas, who, who was coaching me at the time. And he had a very different take on, on training philosophy. And it was really working for me. In the end, I got a bit of a niggle in my hip the last month and I had a terrible race. I ran 227 again. So that was really disappointing to me, like probably the hardest race that I've ever sort of finished given that it was such a disappointment. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd got a glimpse into what I could do and then I just knew that I needed some, like I needed to link some years together it was right when I started to mature a little bit and realize what it was all about being patient and um, having a sort of a mentor there to, to pull me back a little bit and, and actually teach me about the sport. So I started learning a lot about the sport and, and, and that's where I, I developed my, my own philosophy on training. And a lot of it's based off that. And um, we can get into that later, but that was what got me back on track and, and then, yeah, it just linked a few years together and all of a sudden just progressed and progressed and progressed and, and here I am. I, we will touch on that a little bit later with training methodology, but that is a cracker because I'm a big um, big proponent of what you guys do and I love it. So we'll go on that. And so you look through 2014, it's still a very good marathon and you're going, well, I'm, I'm mix, mixing up with the big boys. Were you, you were in Geelong still or you'd already moved? When did you move to Ballarat? Yeah, 2016, moved to Ballarat. and. So uh, yeah. Just explain to the runners outside of Australia that Ballarat, if you don't know these guys, Ballarat is the mecca for Australian distance running. You think of Steve Monaghetti, think of Collis Birmingham, there's been a lot more. Obviously, Truby moved there for a couple of years as well. And now this great man, Julian Smith, I've missed shitloads there. But Ballarat and Lake Wendoree, it's a mecca. Look, John's a pretty good distance running uh, region as well. But tell us about why and the whole everything around why you moved to Ballarat. Yeah, so I was working in the running company Geelong uh, and I was there. I've sort of found what I love to do, like shoes. I've got a real passion for running shoes, running kit, like being around running, um, total nerd. And and anyone who comes in that store is in there for a reason. Like they're not there looking for, for camping gear or something or cricket bats. They're walking in and they're either a runner we get a lot of walkers, but they walkers still share the same passion. Like they want to get out. It's it, it, anyway. Um, <laughs> I was loving it. Yeah, we were manage like I ended up managing the store and and worked like Scott again helped me sort of through the business side of stuff. And um, Bree, my now wife, she started working there. Like we were looking after the store a lot together, and we used to get all these customers from Ballarat coming up. So we would um, we would always go. Oh shit! There needs to be a like. There's a real gap down there. Like all these runners just continually coming in, like driving an hour and a half nearly to come to the store. So we we did a few scope trips down there. We sort of checked it out, and we thought, yeah, this is a really good place to run. Um, I'd known Monarch kind of, but we sat down with Monarch because you don't come into town and open a running store without getting the blessing from the great man. So I sat down with, with Monor and said, look, I'm coming to town. What do you think? And he's like, yeah, we need it. Um, he'd sort of talked about opening a store a few years before, but it never kind of eventuated. Um, and all of a sudden, six, six months later, we've moved town. So we moved down the highway. It's, although it's down the highway, it's a different climate. It's, it is icy cold. It's 
it's really different to Geelong. Like Geelong gets the coastal weather. Ballarat is like the coldest place outside the mountains, I reckon. Uh, I'd agree. Yeah. <laughs> so we we got a bit of a shock there. But what we saw was like a running community that were just hardy. So you, even this morning, it's like feels like negative four or something packed. The trails are packed. People just get out and get it done. There's no, oh, wait till the afternoon or I'll do it on a treadmill. It's like, no, no, this is just what it is. If we don't run today, we're not running for the next four months. So we, we sort of got a glimpse into that culture really early. And, and that culture is what, what makes Ballarat Ballarat. And if you go to the peak end and, and the top running group, which was sort of who I joined in with, um, I would go out on Sunday runs with those guys and they run hilly and they run hard and there is like a real alpha, um, a real alpha culture out there <laughs> and mediocre is not accepted. Like if you go and win a fun run down the road in Geelong and it's, and, and you don't win by six minutes, you're going to get shit the next day on a Sunday. <laughs> or if you like, so Skillsy, like Nath, our mate, he had cancer. Yeah, Nath Hardigan. Nath Hardigan, yeah. Very, so very, very good run. He is very good, but he had cancer and he was out for a while. And his first fun run back, he came back, he came third. And he came on the Sunday long run expecting us to pump him up. Oh, you've done so well coming back from this. And he copped shit for two hours for coming back. <laughs> <laughs> he thought we might go easy because he just beat cancer, but nah. Um, but yeah, mediocre is not accepted. So when I sort of, I, at the time I'd won Gradition Road Marathon or whatever, they didn't give a shit. It's not a, who, how's how slow you were going? Why would you, why would you care about winning when you run that slow? And, and you're running with a guy, Mona, who, who's run 208 and he's, he's been to four Olympics. So the, the definition of successful as a runner down there is different to where it is in Geelong because Troopy was from Geelong, but he wasn't there when I was running, really. He'd moved to Boulder by then. Um, so you didn't really have that culture in Geelong. Yeah, well, Geelong in the mid-2000s to have Troopy, I guess, bust around a bit for them as well. There was a yep. couple others that the names escaped me. Darren always. Lynch was there. Lynch, um, there's a few others in the mid-05, oh, 06 that were really strong, oh, 07 even. Yep. Well, they did have a really good uh, relay team at the AB Relays, and that usually be a Ballarat is next level. And the Sunday long runs are a thing of beauty. Mm. You could make your own YouTube doco just on those bastards. <laughs> I would. It would go so well. It would be like the Jordan documentary. That's but how many people would laugh and watch it. It would leave the last dance in its in its wake. Like you, all you got to do right, is just get the best bits. You <laughs> do the bloody head. You do the bloody head. Just YouTube, what's it called? Those things you put on yeah, the videos. Yeah. Just video yourself, video the whole run, and then just get someone a whiz on the Monday just to cut up the best bits. And then you, you go up to, to where on the Tuesday, just the best bits of Moosey's long run. But you could probably only do one Sunday because of how recycled all our stories are. Because <laughs> <laughs> we just tell the same stories every Sunday, except they get better every every week. It's true. The, the plot might be a bit repetitive. But, look, yeah. there's, there's lots to work on there. Look, Sunday long run is famous, and when, when we get on to the great man's training week, we're going to get to that. Um, so you continue to progress because I'm, we'll get to the – it's a little bit different today. I want to get to the, the big event of last year, which was massive. Well, let's be honest. The, the pinnacle is the world championships. So we're going to get to that. But how did you build towards? And then when did you go, well, okay, the two big events, the Olympics and the world champs, they're easily the two. 
for two big events um, as a distance runner. Where can I qualify for this? And what year did you start to think, okay, I reckon I've got a real good chance at like a Doha or a, a Tokyo? Yeah. Uh, well, really, that was so late. Um, it's funny. I never really considered that. It all came on so quickly. So 2016, I ran Melbourne Marathon, 225. Again, it was a shit day. It was similar to that 2008 day, but I was really strong in the back half, which gave me a little bit of hope um, that I could still, like, I kind of gave up on the idea of being a good runner when I moved. I thought, oh, you can't own a small business, work like this, and be a good runner. I'm like, I had my chance. It's sort of passed. Then all of a sudden, you you realize how much work your partner can do in there instead of you, and you think, oh, maybe I can train more. Hello, <laughs> Brie. Yeah, Bree's really good at this. Uh, so she, she she's allowed me to to train more, maybe rest a little more, and and so September 2017, we went to Berlin and ran the Berlin Marathon. And leading up to that, I was sort of doing workouts that I hadn't really been in the ballpark of ever doing before and they were feeling comfortable. So I thought, oh, you know what? I could, I might be able to do something special today. And, and I remember like this is one of the, my best memories, the best feelings that I ever have is waking up that morning in the Airbnb. I walked out to the, the balcony and I just had this, I was sort of looking at the road that the, the race went past I thought today is going to be a special day and today is going to be a day that forever you're going to remember and look back on. Today's the day it changes. And I just remember putting my headphones in. I walked down to the start line and uh, it was, it was like the first, like, so I went through, I ran with the women and, um, and I, this Brady was in this race. So I was really patient. I, I like the group went, I, I went through in 69, 55 minutes, the women's group in front of me took off and I let them go. And then all of a sudden I just started sort of building and building and feeling better. And like the adrenaline of, of passing people. And I got to the big pack with the front ladies and I'm looking around and everyone's faces are just distraught. They're ruined and they're going backwards. And I thought, I don't feel like that at all. I feel good. And so I just busted to the front like of this pack and with the ladies pack at Berlin has all the press around it because it's the front of the race and there's all these cars and cameras and managers on the bike screaming stuff and all the paces are in that group, all the hanger on guys that kind of want to break 220, get on TV. So I just went past them all and thought, fuck it, I'm out. I'm I'm feeling better than you and, and uh, dropped to a much faster second half and came home in, in two hours, 18 and 40 something, I think. And that was the qualifying time for the Com games. And as soon as I finished, I'm like, fuck off. You've just done that. That's, that's incredible. Like you were never supposed to do that. That's not, that's not what you do. You go and run 225 at Great Ocean Road. You're, you're a domestic runner. Like you are not the next, you don't just like, <laughs> you're not this ballpark. And, um, and from there, like I got home all of a sudden, Mono wants to talk to me a little more. <laughs> uh, and I thought, okay, well, if you can do that, let's do another year of training, see what happens. So I went back the next year, actually spent a bit of time in Boulder training. This is when I saw Troop. We met at Troopy. Uh, I saw him there and, 
and went to Berlin again. And, and this time it was like such a similar story. Just ran to like ran really fast the second half, felt great, 216, 40 something again. Uh, thought, okay, <laughs> let's do it again. Like I'm getting it now. Like I'm patient. I'm, I'm not, pr- things were changing in my training that were like, psychological where I would do a workout and not feel like I had to belt myself the feeling of walking away from a session like comfortable was um I think it's an ego thing to to constantly push 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 your training and um all of a sudden that was backed off because I was getting the results in the races I wasn't feeling like I needed to get results from training I just had to trust it I'm like I did it last time I ran this time I'm going to do it this next time but smidge faster and i'll probably get a slightly faster result in the race and that's what i was doing and all of a sudden uh went to japan lake biwa spent the full summer in ballarat like no training trip um busy the store started to build get a bit busier so a lot of work but didn't really make a difference i I ran um so i got out ran way too fast through the first 5k looked down at my watch i'm like this is dangerous territory because I'm always the start slow, finish fast guy. And in this one, I'd started fast and I'm like, well, you could be in strife here. And, um, but then just stuck to my own race and there were packs forming and breaking around me, but I was just really like disciplined in doing my own thing that day. And, uh, yeah, like finished at 214.40 and, Again, I'm thinking 214, you're not supposed to do this. Like this is, this is reserved for the good runners, the guys that break 29 minutes in the 10K. At this point, I'd never even broke 30 minutes, I don't think. Like I don't think like I'm not that runner, but fuck, I can nail a marathon. And, uh, and I, yeah, I could nail a marathon. Like I was really good at marathon running. Slow half, slow 10K, slow 5K, slow everything, can run a marathon. Yeah, so good, mate. Hey, Zatapex quote as uh, what the heck Shell? Shell's just brought me another beer. Thanks, Dale. <laughs> you got you got beers, can you? You rock the beers. Yeah, I got the sticks on. You can tell. Give them plug. Quit the sticks. Oh yeah, sticks brewer. Yeah, they look after the podcast that we got. Um, yeah. The Grim Sweeper tonight. The inside running parallel. Thanks, Shell. Hey, Moose. I love that stuff. Zatapex, the great man, Emil Zatapex, one of the greatest of all time. If you want to, what do you say? You want to be a runner. If you want to be, a, if you want to, if you want to be a runner, run a mile. If you want to change your life, run a marathon. Yeah, yeah. Maybe experience life or something. Um, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. I remember. It's a difference. It's a different athlete that can run a good marathon because it, it goes, I think, beyond physical. More. It's yeah. Like, how long do you have to hurt for in a five k max? Ten minutes. Um, how long do you hurt for in a half? Maybe twenty. In a marathon, you can hurt for 90 minutes. And and that's what a lot of these guys don't prepare for. How many fail coming off the track world or who've run a great half marathon that cannot convert to the marathon? It's like a whole different level of how much do you want this? Um, how much are you willing to hurt for a few minutes? Like a few minutes time off the end for like an exponential amount more hurt. Uh, and yeah, like I don't know. I'm, I, I seem to be pretty good at that. Oh, no, and you are, and I love it, and that's why I think you are 
of people you you do endear yourself to people, not just with your personality and your your, your character and that, but certainly your ability to hurt. Number one, but I reckon more. Like, a lot of people, like general public, five-hour marathoners, four-hour marathoners, can can really relate. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're a marathon. You're a genuine guts and determination marathoner. Yeah, like I don't even know your dimensions, but you certainly like you're not. You're not. You're certainly not a stick. Like you're a, you're a good size ex footballer. Yeah, I'm a unit. What, what's your what's your eyes just sticking his chest out? Hey, uh, what's your what's your current racing weight and what? Uh, well, I'm 181 or two centimeters. I'm about six foot. And then, yeah, I'm probably like I vary between sixty-eight and seventy-one kilos. I wonder um, what you ran your first marathon at. Oh, yeah, a good rack rover top. Yeah, no, I used to love the gym. I used to wait. No, I used to love doing upper body weights. Bicep kills. Yeah, I was good at that because lots um, of bicep kills. Why else wouldn't you do that? I'm still good at that. I still go to the gym and all I do, I'm like, I'm going to do some clams <laughs> and some leg press. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to do sit-ups and I'm going to do curls. Please, beach muscles all the way, great man. <laughs> yeah. We're going to finish off on that, the the final marathon, or the, looking, many would say the most important marathon. Before we get into your sports psychology, which is brilliant, and your running methodology, and then we'll get to have some fun after that. Now tell me, Dota, how was the lead-up? Um, we'll start the training now. Did you change anything? And... There's a lot of conjecture about the heat and the oppressive nature of it. How did you find it? Because I don't think you are the kind of person to whinge about anything. So you said, ah, oh, fuck this, but head down, bum up, and continue on. I've got the green and gold jersey in the world champs, which for those listeners that aren't sure, the world champs is fucking huge. Best of the best on the, on the hardest distance there is. Yeah, I watched it for the first time on the weekend. I, I, I went on YouTube and... Um, I sat down, never seen the front of the race except for when they were like on the other side of the road. It was it was a good race, uh, but there was some like there was some of the best in there up front. It was pretty cool to watch, and I remember afterwards the guy who did a lot of work early to DC. He's he, he used to hold the world half record, half marathon record. He was um, our, we were standing around afterwards. He was just throwing up all over his shoes. And we were like, oh, man, this guy is like one of the best runners of all time. And he still throws up on his shoes at the finish. Uh, but, yeah, so we, I went to St. Moritz to train with Ali, who I coach. Um, we, we just, she was around the 10K at Doha. And so we went to, to get some altitude. And part of that as well was trying to find some heat training because Doha was always going to be hot, like – we, we knew it was going to be hot. The day they announced that there was going to be the world champs in Doha, everybody should have expected it to be hot and started planning for it. But there's only so much you can plan for. There's only so much heat acclimatization you can do. It's still going to be 30 degrees and humid. Um, the way that we tried to sort of counteract it is, or not counteract it, but get used to it is running um, – we would go for a run and then we would sit in the sauna. So you would sort of get your, your core temperature up from the exercise and then you would sit in the, the sauna and sort of increase it and increase it. And, <clears throat> and that was really tough. Like that's about as stressful on the body as, as I could even remember putting anything my body through. So it sounds okay, right? You go for an easy run and then you sit in the sauna. That's quite nice, but it's not, it's really distressing 
it, your heart rate goes up to nearly threshold. Well, mine was, I was sitting in the sauna and my heart rate's just going up and up and up. And, um, I'm thinking this, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm like, I feel like my head's about to explode. It's so hot and I've still got 10 minutes left. And, and so that was a bit like, that was shit. Right. Like <laughs> I remember thinking like, I like running. I don't like sitting in fucking saunas. I train for running for running, but I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to run a hot marathon because I don't enjoy it. But in the end, it sort of paid off and uh, got to to Doha a week before the event, the marathon, and watched Ali race, and she had a great one. So we're all up and about. But then we went like I would run every night, and the heat is like nothing else. It, it's a different planet that, like in the Middle East, it's oppressively hot. Like you walk and your heart rate goes up to for me, I would walk and it would go to 120 because of how hot it was. And I would jog at my easy pace and I'd have my heart rate on and I was a minute plus per K slower jogging uh, within half an hour. I, I couldn't keep it down. And there's a guy there, an Irish bloke, Steve Scullion. He had a podcast at the time he ran in the event and I listened to that afterwards and he he was so freaked out by his heart rate. He destroyed his whole race just by being super scared about it. Um, and I would do a workout. I did a workout where I thought I did a few sort of minutes at marathon pace and I could barely hold, hold it. And I got back to the room. It's like 1am cause we were training at midnight and I'm like, I'm really scared about this. This was lit. This was actually a really scary situation because I, I don't even know if I can jog 42k at this in this heat. Um, B, I'm on the world stage. Even if I jogged 42k, it's fucking embarrassing when you're on a world in the world champs. Um, I know I'm not going to pull out, so there's that. Like I'm going to finish, and it's going to look real silly if I finish um, six, like <laughs> like getting lapped. Uh, but then, funnily, weirdly enough, I went out of the other night, an, another night, and this was a real sort of mind mindset thing. And I, I'm not like big on all that, but I basically ran, and I was I I just I convinced myself, or I got in this mindset where I was running. I had all this adrenaline going at the time. I'm like, no, no, you've got this. Like, you've got this. And I, I basically, I don't know, like but I took all the negativity away and um, I just got super positive about it. I look, these fucking 80 guys, they're not different to you. Like, yeah, sure. Some maybe have run better in the past, but fuck that. It's not the past anymore. Like it's going to be really hot. They're going to hate that. You're tougher than them. I'm just doing all this internal talk and I got back to the room and I'm like a change person. I'm like, I've got it. Bree, I've I've got it. I'm going to be fine. Um, and I just took that, like, I think I had an extra day, two days and, and just super positive and, and then got into the race. And it turns out it wasn't as hot as it had been. It was like 29 instead of 35 and the humidity was lower. So the conditions were better. And, um, in the end, it just ran slightly negative split. So I probably ran it perfectly, but yeah, it's amazing the way that your, your mind can, um, can change how. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but there was, I'll always remember that one, one run. It was the same thing as what happened Berlin the race morning where I'm like, today's going to be special. It was just a few nights before and I'm like, 
you got this. Like you're, you're fucking ready for this. It's a great segue because, yeah, just to remind the listeners what time of the night it was as well, day after time. Oh, yeah. So the race started at midnight. Yeah. Uh, it was 7K course on the, um, the Corniche down on their waterfront, lit up with lights, uh, and you had aid stations like every three and a half K. Um, good, viewing, good viewing time, if I remember right, from Australia to Melbourne time. Yeah, it was like 7 a.m. or something. Perfect, perfect time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> hey, um, yeah, look, great segue because from a – I think we've shared a lot of very similar philosophies, but one of the bigger ones is just the, the Garmin and the – forget about it sometimes, like, mm. don't, and the heart rate and the Garmin, run on field, and a marathon of all things, especially if you've done the work. But trust the work, trust the process. You know you've done all that. Yeah, and like, you've done it in a lot of big city races, and you do it on the biggest stage of all in um in the, one of the more important races of your life. I know there'll be lots of hopefully more important races. Tell us, you came thirty off that night, day. Yeah. That's an amazing effort. And what was the feeling afterwards? And how'd you go? How'd you go? What, what were we talking? So you you ran two nineteen that night, two eighteen, two nineteen, two nine, uh, yeah, two nineteen forty, I think, or something like that. Good, yeah. Ridiculously good in that heat. How was the aftermath of Doha? Could you go and enjoy yourself at all? Or is it illegal over there? Uh, sort of, yeah, yeah. So 39th, I had no business coming 39th, to be honest. Like, that's... Enough Enough with the false modesty. Enough. Yeah. You're in the top 40 in the world on yeah, yeah. the biggest marathon of the year. Just say, yes, I'm in the top 40. Thanks, Rick. That's right, yeah. No, I was fucking over the moon. Um, but we went to this... We went to the, Hil- uh, the Hilton, which is... Like a, it's funny there. It's political. Like you can have liquor license if you've got a hotel, and so that's where all the um, kind of the non, I guess, non-Muslims go to drink. <laughs> uh, and so we went to the Hilton and paid twenty-five bucks for a Corona, um, and had too many of them. I think I had like six or eight of them. So I spent two hundred bucks on eight Coronas, <laughs> but all worth it. And so hot that you drink half of it. And the next half tastes like warm piss. Oh, but it didn't really get like, I think a whiskey there was something like $40 or something. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the whiskey. Yeah, but celebrated to a degree, uh, got back and, and mate, it hasn't been all smooth sailing since really. I've kind of I've had a few niggles and injuries and, and never really got back where I wanted to next time on the deep some of the workouts that get prescribed or that i do myself in a lead up to a marathon are as much about mental training as they are from the physical component